Welcome to season two. This is Caitlin, producer of the Rural Futures Podcast with Dr. Connie. Subscribe, rate, and review us where you listen and find us on social media at Rural Futures. Enjoy the show. Today is the time we have a very narrow window. So I would encourage communities that listen to us, please, please make connectivity or digital mindset or digital parity a priority. Rural Futures, the podcast where we connect thought leaders and doers at the intersection of technology and what it means to be human. Every episode, we talk with entrepreneurs, researchers, and achievers to create impact for generations to come. And now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome back to the Rural Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Connie, and joining me today is Dr. Roberto Gallardo. Welcome to the podcast, Roberto. Thank you, Connie. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, really excited to have you on. So just a little bit more about Roberto. He's the Assistant Director for the Purdue Center for Regional Development and a Community and Regional Economics Specialist at Purdue Extension. But, you know, the other thing about him is that he's been conducting research and extension regarding the impact of broadband in rural communities. And this is a huge issue right now. Roberto, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing in that space and why. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I, I agree. It's a, a trendy topic right now. I've been involved in this for the past 10 years or so. I love extension work because I call it applied research, right? You go in there, you do research, it's research-based, and then you come down to the trenches and you kind of apply that research, that knowledge, you extend it. And that's, that's kind of very, very good to do because you get feedback. You get very important feedback that many times is missed if you're only solely looking at the research side. So I've been doing a lot of secondary data crunching on broadband access and adoption in rural communities. Uh, You know, it's impact, socioeconomic impact, et cetera, et cetera. But recently, uh, you know, we're working with communities actually to learning how they can leverage digital platforms to increase civic engagement, for example, which is a, a project that is funded through your organization. Um, and we also are doing surveys to better understand how, how households and rural households are using the technology. Uh, so we're moving a little bit beyond the access conversation and trying to focus more on the utilization and adoption. And why do you think this work is so important? You know, I know we hear a lot of times here at the Rural Futures Institute, well, people choose to live in rural. So it's a choice they're making. Do we really need to make the investment necessary to connect people So why do you think this work is important in terms of helping people living in rural be part of this wave of technology? Well, as you know, the digital age is unfolding. I use the analogy that it is in diaper stage right now, and the train has not left the station. And so we've got to make sure that everybody that can should board that train. And if not, you're going to be left out of a really, truly transformational time uh, I'm sure if there were internet and, and video back in the day when, when everybody was moving from ag to the industry in the cities, uh, this, uh, this level of transformation was taking place. So I believe that the digital age is doing the same now. And so the digital economy is only a part of what you hear. And of course, that's, that's what drives many policymakers. But I think that overall, the technology, the digital age has a lot of potential for rural communities. And so working on helping these rural communities board that train, right, before the diapers become a a toddler and then they become a a children or teenager and 
uh, we need to make sure we get on board now because one of the characteristics is it moves really quick. The digital age does. So if we miss a train, uh, trying to catch on later on is going to be harder. Now, what if rural communities do miss that train? I mean, as, as a futurist, I love to explore, you know, these possible scenarios and what's possible. And a lot of times we focus that work on, you know, why this is important. But what, what would you see happening if our rural communities miss this opportunity? In a very uh, positive spin to things, I think they're going to go through a very slow death. I think they will still remain a core of, of whatever towns are left, but we're already, uh, you know, youth is moving out and our population is becoming older. That's not sustainable. And if we do not plug in into this digital ecosystem, we will surely be left out and we will surely experience a decline. Now, the question is out uh, to the jury regarding if we do plug in, what's that going to do for rural? I think that that's another question, future-looking, that we need to address. But we know for a fact now that if you do not have the connectivity and the know-how, right off the bat, you're out. And so I would rather worry about, okay, we have the connectivity, how can we improve the know-how, and how can we then turn our rural communities around, not necessarily in growth, but in development, right? That's one of the key differences I teach my students. Many rural communities don't want to grow, and that's fine. But what about develop? What about improving the quality of life of those that remain or those that have young families like me want to return or want to live in, in a less chaotic uh, situation or environment like it is big urban areas? You know, I think that's such a, a key point, right, in terms of thinking about, okay, if we can transform these communities, and it's totally possible. I mean, the possibility is there. What could that look like? Now, it might not be population growth, and I think this is very key because I think part of the challenge we have working in this space right now is a lot of decision makers still want to see a numbers. They're like, we want to see the numbers grow. We want the population to grow. You know, and that's not where we are in the present state. What are those other metrics, measures, characteristics we can use to see how these communities are thriving and can even be you know, better in the future? I think it's, it's a no-brainer. The quality of life of rural communities can improve. Uh, if we have access to education that's only given in certain areas, we can do that virtually. We can also take advantage of telehealth and telework and other applications without having to move necessarily out of that rural ecosystem. There are some challenges there, right? It's the death of distance. This argument has been around for 40 years since the information communication technology came online. Uh, but I believe this time it's a different situation because the, the technology is so, so mature, it's so sophisticated, and we don't even know what's coming down the pipe. And so that's, that's why I'm hopeful. But rural communities will miss out if they, number one, are not connected, and number two, are not, do not have that knowledge, that insight of how to leverage that technology. You know, the other thing I really appreciate in your work that you talk about is this whole moving from the industrial age mentality to a digital age mindset and how important mindset is. Could you expand on that a bit? Yeah, definitely. That's uh, many communities uh, that I've worked with may have fiber optics, right? But if they don't have the correct mindset, they're not going to do anything with that fiber optics. And that change in mindset is not easy 
I wish I had a, a step-by-step process to follow, but it's really, really location-specific, context-specific. What I've seen communities kind of when they start thinking and acting digitally is because they understand the potentials and the benefits and the challenges of the digital age, and they are brave enough in a way to start trying different things, and they will fail, but then they will get up and they will try it again. And that, to me, tells me that the community is now in a digital mindset. I have noticed that the previous step to that change in mindset is awareness. And many times, many times, awareness is overlooked easily. And so that's public policy 101, right? If we do not agree on the problem, let's not even discuss strategies and solutions. That awareness to me is a big, big part of my job and the extension side is that awareness can lead to that change in mindset. Rural communities need to stop thinking about you know, oh, the industrial age, let's go ahead and hopefully attract the next big manufacturing facility. In Futuring, we really talk about that important mindset as well. Like, so what you believe happens is what will happen. Ultimately, that's where you put your energy, that's where your energy flows. And here at the Real Futures Institute, we've talked a lot about that as well. So if we don't change the narrative around what's possible in our rural communities and how rural and urban really need to collaborate in order to create a more sustainable future for everyone on the planet, and not just people, but the ecosystems, the animals, everything, then we're missing out on an opportunity to create a better future for all. And I think, you know, this mindset even of everything has to be very competitive or the mindset of lack is sort of unfortunate in terms of a world of abundance and what is possible. And I think technology while also having its challenges, can really usher in um, an era that's more positive for more people. Totally agree. Scarcity has been the commodity that's been driving everything. And uh, potentially, we can now reach that age that you're describing. And that will change the dynamics completely. It'll change our assumptions. It'll change our vision. It'll change everything. But again, the first key step is that awareness, right? What is this digital age? What are you talking about? What do I need to be looking out for? Because I can't predict the future. I can't tell you go down this route. But that awareness is something that I think is is often overlooked. I think leadership is an essential part of this conversation. So tell us a little bit more about you as a leader. What's your philosophy style? You know, how do you lead in this space? I, I appreciate that. I don't consider myself a leader, though, but I, I, I appreciate that. Um, I think that empowerment and trust are key things that any leader should look at. You cannot babysit. You cannot micromanage. I think that people have potential, and if you empower them correctly, uh, I think you can unleash that potential and that will free energy that otherwise would be tied up with menial tasks or, or trying to micromanage. At a community level, that's what, I, that's what I shoot for with the communities I work with, is you will not depend on me. This is a show and this process is totally driven by you. I am here and I will dance at the tune that you play. That is very important for sustainability purposes. Make sure the community is comfortable and is empowered, right? Then they will take it. And if you couple that with, with a mindset change, I think the community can do just fine. Now, what type of leadership 
do you think it's going to take to make these types of things happen? How do you see leadership evolving so that we do help shift the mindset and we do help empower people in the future? I think that many leaders in rural communities are doing so many things all the time. They're putting out fires all the time, right? They're just responding. They're reacting. They don't have time to be proactive. It's just the, the context, right? The situation. I think leaders need to incorporate feedback. I've seen part-time mayors that, are all, that also have a full-time job. It's a different dynamics than an urban uh, leadership or situation, but I think that's the key step, Connie, is first and foremost, the leader needs to recognize I'm, I'm busy as it is, but I do need to get additional feedback and incorporate this and collectively reach a vision that will then drive and really nurture this future leadership. Yeah, we've really been here at the Institute talking about sort of this process of co-creation because, you know, you can't just go to a community and, you know, you're not just going to swoop in and help them. It's their future, right? And so the goal really is to empower their future and help them, help them achieve what they desire. But on the other side of that, I think as a university, one thing we've really been working on is how do we then listen to what's happening in that space? How can we co-create not the, just the future of that one community, but these communities of practice as a whole, like mental health or childcare, through that feedback, create better experiences for our students here, and, and really learn as a university how to evolve ourselves in an era that's full of exponential change. And I think that co-creation really comes from that deep listening and not just doing what we've always done. Correct. Totally agree. That co-creating, that ownership dynamic, I think, is critical. I appreciate in your work how you bring out the evolution of so many industries with this connectivity. So can we deliver more online or use different technologies to create almost virtual experiences wherever we are so that we can not just earn degrees, but those credentials, badges, whatever competency-based education might be there? Or skills. I know you're a person who likes to learn by doing. So how do we create these experiences using technology so people can live where they choose, but also create the future they want? I'd love to know what you think about the future of broadband. What do you think it looks like? And what is it going to take really to connect everybody on the planet? There's still a billion people without electricity when you look at it. It's a matter of priorities. The future of broadband, I think more technologies will come out to play, but what I hear from providers and what I know is that the laws of physics, we have reached that point, especially in wireless, right? Many people tell me, oh, the solution will be wireless, don't worry about it. It's like, well, if there are no leads, right? If there are no like bodies of waters or lakes or whatever, we can't get past that laws of physics. So I think that the technology I'm hoping will continue to evolve where it'll be a lot more efficient and, and where it's not as costly to connect. Because when you think about it, Connie, the electronics and the actual fiber is not expensive. What's expensive is the labor, right? It's those capital costs to uh, actually install or run or, or run the wire. But the actual electronics, as you've seen in the exponential behavior, I mean, they're going down, they're going down. You know, they're, they're cheap. The future of broadband is yes, a worldwide, all world is connected. I mean, just imagine, I think that the worst waste 
of human talent and creativity is poverty. I think that humans are creative by nature. It's just that we are not exposed to the same things. We don't have the same opportunities. We are in different contexts. And imagine how many creative folks, because of their poverty situation, right? Imagine plugging that creativity into this digital ecosystem where you have worldwide information at your fingertips. What can we solve? What ideas will come out of that? And yet we have not tapped into that because they're not connected, right? Imagine a a world that's connected, all low-income people join this bandwagon. I think it's going to change totally how we see the world, the ideas that we have, that feedback, that co-creating will be really, really powerful then, I think. It's going to be a huge, massive brain, really, that's going to be connected. I think just even understanding where people are, how they've experienced life, and they'll be able to create solutions we aren't thinking about, you know, in, because they'll have different experiences and different knowledge to bring to the table. Now, I know you've worked a lot with the speed issue, you know, because it's not just about the access, it's also about the quality of the access. And, you know, a lot of what we've learned is the FCC data is not accurate. So, really, it seems like there's a lot more people connected to high-speed internet than there are. Could you expand on that a little bit and tell us what you found in your work? Data-wise, we are not where we should be. Uh, The FCC does the best it can with that data, which is carrier self-reported. It's not validated or cross-checked in any way. So we're we're trusting entirely on what the providers are telling us. There's a granularity issue where a block, which is the lowest census geography, you've heard this, if one household is served, the entire block is considered served. Uh, That raises some issues. Uh, and on the speed thing, I think the next divide really is, is on speed because if you look at that data, for example, here in Indiana, 100% of blocks are served or, or advertised with 10-1 speeds, right? Assuming we, we can believe that data, but what difference does it make? And that's where the research should be taking us now. What do you do with a 10-1 connection and what do you do with a 100-100 connection? Because, and that's what I tell communities, is that the web evolves accordingly, okay? Try browsing the web today, not streaming video or doing any of those things. Just try browsing the web today with dial-up. It's crazy. But other areas or locations in the, in the world are already fiber and they're experimenting with higher speeds. And guess what? The web is going to evolve. Speed is an issue. We don't want rural U.S., to be left at 10-1 speeds or, or even 25-3 speeds when all these applications are expecting faster speeds. So that's a big, big, I think that's the next hurdle is aside from connectivity, like you said, is the quality. What makes you so passionate about this work? I, I just believe that digital platforms can really unleash that creativity that's kind of suppressed, uh, that will of communities to improve themselves, to see that they may have been over the past 20, 30 years under a, a bad situation, economically speaking. It makes me passionate because I believe that it has the potential to level the playing field. Like you've read my articles about digital parity and right. that rural 2.0, that rural renaissance 
That's why I'm passionate about this. It's because I believe, I truly believe that this technology, there's a lot of issues and there's a lot of other stuff that we've got to address, but I think that it truly has the potential to start a rural renaissance. And I have lived in rural areas. So imagine on the healthcare side, on the education side, on the entertainment side, because of mixed reality and digital reality and all these applications. So that's why I'm passionate about it is because I think rural communities need to understand this potential and they need to take conscious steps towards this future. I love that, taking those conscious steps towards the future. Can you share some stories, success stories you've had working with communities in the space? You know, I've been to a Boys and Girls Club and I've got iPads with me and we've got the Scratch Junior app. Low-income minority kids that have never seen a tablet uh, have never had one. It's amazing, Connie, how within 20 minutes, they're just tapping away. And that confirms what I see is that the potential is there, the creativity is there. That's a, that specific example. I've seen other rural businesses that depend entirely on their online sales uh, because otherwise they would, would have gone out of business within their 2000 town. Um, I've seen and like we're working in the project with the RFI on the communities, how they can become more responsive, right? How can they become more responsive so that way their quality of life and their civic engagement improves? So I have bits and pieces of examples like that in my work, and it's very gratifying to see. That's when you realize, Connie, remember that mindset change? That's when I go, that's very interesting. They've made that jump. And now I'm starting to learn from what they're doing. I also know you're a family man. You're married. You have two children. So what do you enjoy doing and how do you continue to, you know, sort of evolve as a leader yourself through doing some other things outside of work that spark your creativity and passion? Yes, I've got two daughters. One of them is 11. She's pushing hard for a smartphone. She's not getting it yet. Hey, that's my 11-year-old daughter, too. I am with you on that. So when you, when you give that a yes, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I think that what I enjoy the most is getting some piece of knowledge and then kind of see if it truly materializes in the trenches. That's what gets me going every day is when you show up to a community, you tell them this, that, and then they look at you in the eye and they say, that, that doesn't make sense. This makes sense. And then you go, oh, that, that feedback is phenomenal. Um, I, I'm passionate about that. On, on my daughter's uh, side, I've shown them a couple of the stuff I've done. And my little one, who's eight, always tells me, Daddy, I know you and technology get along really well. And that's, that's kind of how she's grasping it now. But I see that all their homework is online. And I cannot even imagine what a family that cannot afford, right? Or they've reached their data plan or, they, or they're not connected or they have to drive to the library, to the McDonald's. I, as a parent, totally empathize about. It's like, wow, I totally, totally understand why you're frustrated, why you're mad, why, why your children are at a disadvantage that they didn't even create themselves. Now, you know, that's that's such a critical point because, you know, when you think about the future and I think when you have, you know, kids or grandkids or other, you know, young people you care about or in your life, you do want to envision a better future for them and for them to have that mindset 
themselves of, you know, anything is possible. I literally at my fingertips can create whatever life I want. You know, I can solve things, you know, I can be a social entrepreneur, I can start a business, I can raise money for a cause. There's just all these pieces and parts to it. We've always been very excited about the work you do, but I think hearing it now today in terms of how do we make it also a great equalizer in this world, I think it's just such a powerful message. So tell me um, and share with our audience a little bit, what parting words of wisdom do you want to share? What I tell communities left and right and, and colleagues and everybody is, do not tell me how it cannot be done. That I already know. Let's instead focus on how it can be done. And that, again, goes back to the mindset. I've seen communities that once it becomes a priority, whatever barriers seemed unsurmountable before are surmountable now. That just attitude is really at the individual, at the group, at the community level. What I tell communities every time is I can come and present and talk to you about this every day. But if you do not, as a community, as a group, as a leaders, whatever it is, do not really feel that this is the way you need to go or this is what you should be looking at, there's nothing I can do, really. I can, I can share with you resources, but you will always tell me why it cannot be done. Mm. Because, because you do not have that attitude towards it can and will be done. And it's amazing, Connie. I wish I could document all this and do a study on that, but it's amazing how really funds, which is the number one issue, right, financial, it really becomes secondary and a technicality once this attitude is in place. Because when you want it, you will mobilize to get it. But if you're wired or if you're thinking, oh, it can't be done because of this, Oh, it can't be done because of that. Well, we know that, but that's the question. How can it be done? Or the question then becomes, do you want it done? Or do you have the will to do it? I understand there are other issues. There are other community issues. It could be health issues. It could be crime. And so I understand that the connectivity part may be pushed to the side. And that's understandable. I would only ask that uh, you do bring it back into the radar uh, because the train will leave the station and it's going to be harder to catch on because that exponential behavior. Um, we don't know what the future will bring, but if you don't kind of understand uh, the characteristics and the behaviors now uh, and, and hop on that train, um, it's going to be really hard down the road. It really will, because then frustration will kick in. And, 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 you know, and then you're going to this downward cycle uh, where the community is being left out. You know, you're, you, most of your youth are out. They're not coming back. Today is the time we have a very narrow window. So I would encourage communities that listen to us that we understand there are other issues at play. But please, please make connectivity or, or digital mindset or digital parity a priority. I think that sense of urgency is a very important piece of this. Let's do this. Let's get it done. Thank you so much, Roberto. We really appreciate your time and expertise. And we look forward to following your work and continuing to share that with our audience as well. And just appreciate 
what you're doing in the space to not only connect people, but really help them create their future. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And, uh, and thank you for, for that other project that we're working on. We're learning a lot. I think the communities are having a blast. And so thank you for the opportunity and, and thank you for being uh, uh, colleagues in, in, this, in this venture. That's important. Nobody can do it alone. So I truly appreciate your interest and your, and your own resources uh, and, and, and mindset that you bring to the table. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening to Rural Futures with Dr. Connie. Subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode with Ali Schwanke, CEO and founder of SimpleStrat, a growth marketing agency based in Lincoln, Nebraska. I was asked by a reporter, you know, what is it like being a woman entrepreneur? And it's just kind of like, what is it like to breathe? You know, it's just, it's just this thing that I do.